this is the Misdirected Mark Podcast, a podcast about gaming, game mastering, and entertaining you, our listeners. We are explicit, you have been warned, and I'd like to thank Mike Willard for letting us use his music on our show. Now let's pick up those mics and get on with this thing. Oh, hey, you made it. And even bad weather won't keep me from a good game. Hey, Jer. I got here a while ago. I'm all set up. True. It's not that long of a trip for Phil. I just uh, get out onto the main intersection. Then it's like almost a straight line to Bob's place. Like almost no turns, no side roads, like pretty much straight, straight shot to Bob's. Well, with the weather, I took a different route. I decided to take the train on in. Well, sometimes to get to a good game, you have to take the railroad. So welcome to the 474th episode of the Mr. Mark podcast. Today we're going to talk about linear plots and railroads. Not the trades you take places, but what happens when the GM kidnaps your characters for the story. Of course, we'll take your comments, examples, and suggestions live from the chat room on Twitch before jumping into the after show. But first, my name is Jerry. My name is Phil. And I am Old Man Logan. Oh man, that opening. Jer, <laughs> was very punny. Wah, wah. The railroad you. joke. I did what I could. All it was missing is the Fozzie Bear waka waka waka. Waka waka waka. Good grief. I liked it actually. Bear. Thank you. I liked it. I just, it was very punny. <laughs> Thank it amused you. me. Oh, man. All right. Welcome back from our hiatus. Yep. Oh, you remember I, how to do this. You know what? Let me take two seconds. The hiatus was my fault, so I should at least explain. It's all right. Um, thank you, everyone, for um, putting up with our two weeks off. Um, over those two weeks, two Tuesdays, uh, the first one, Senda had just flown into town on a red eye. So um, she slept like half the day and then like woke up and we were hanging out and stuff and didn't really want to record an episode that Tuesday night. And then the following Tuesday, uh, my kiddos had a chorus concert and my my son, who's graduating this year, this was his last chorus concert in high school ever period uh, kind of thing. So I was absolutely 100% not going to um miss that moment so of course, of course. that was why we were off last tuesday but i thank you those were um two personal things for me so thank you guys for uh just you know handling our two weeks off and we appreciate it and we're happy to be back yes very happy to be back so let's get started with our temperature check phil how you feeling who dodged a bullet my friend dodged a bullet <laughs> again Real quick, Thursday night, my daughter comes over for dinner. She's a little tired, has a stuffy nose, lays down in her, lays down in her bed while I whip her up, while I whip us up some dinner. I um, bring her home after dinner, get a call from my, um, I get a call from her mom uh, Friday morning that she's tested COVID, COVID positive. So they were, my kiddos were supposed to come over and spend the weekend with me, like the whole weekend. They wound up not because they were locked down um, at their place with their mom. And uh, I had to lock down as well because I had a very, um, a very direct COVID exposure. So um, I was pretty run down, had a low grade headache for most of the weekend, tested negative on Sunday, and I'm going to test again tomorrow just to make sure that I'm free and clear. I'll be five days since exposure, but I feel fine. I don't have any symptoms and uh, I'm pretty sure I dodged a bullet, like pretty sure. Pretty sure the big C was hovering over me during the weekend and managed to yeah. shake it off. So um, I'm happy to report I'm here and healthy um, and mentally doing just fine. Like doing okay. I had a very relaxing weekend because I was basically confined to quarters. 
And uh, <laughs> we'll talk more about that in the community corner. But anyway, that's me, Jerry. How about you? Doing pretty good. Um, I pretty much went through the, the weekend without too many issues. Uh, last night, when the pressure and weather changed, um, I was afraid because I was just dripping like a like a like a leaky water faucet, which is with my allergies what happens. But apparently, what I did not know because I live in a reasonably uh, pollen-free area. Apparently, last night it was like a snowstorm of pollen outside. So um, that was it. So other than that, I just for a little sniffly sneezy, um, and I've been also feeling a lot better because I've been trying to get to bed at a more reasonable hour for the last like two months now. I've been going to bed at like 1130 or midnight instead of at like two or three in the morning. So I'm getting six or six and a half hours sleep a night instead of like two to three. And I'm feeling better. So looking forward to a good show and a good night and uh, also some good fun times this summer because I'll actually be awake for it. So, hmm. <laughs> Bobo? Bobo. Yeah. You got to get the sleep, Jerry. Personally, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm mostly okay. Um, I tweaked my back at some point um, last night or this morning. So my lower back's been a little achy. Um, I got on the heating pad for a while and it was a lot better for the rest of the day. But it was it's just low grade, just annoying. Um, and I've been a little frustrated for the last like 24 hours because I scheduled the install of my long awaited replacement patio door for tomorrow, the 1st of June. And now, uh, as of a couple of days ago, there are thunderstorms scheduled for the entire day, which means they cannot do the install because they don't do that during the rain. So likely we're going to have to bump it to another day right now, probably Thursday, but who knows? I just, I want it done. I want, <laughs> I want that door in. And, and done with because it's been nine months since i ordered it <laughs> and um i mean yeah i was gonna say i mean like you like you had this thing picked out like when you first moved in yeah i, I literally placed the order for it um at the at the last week of august last year and so you know <laughs> it's been a wait several covid delays uh, uh because of this and that and the other thing supply chain and all that crap and then they had some kind of a weird snafu with the order that they had to fix but that's neither here nor there i feel pretty good um a little frustrated with that let's jump into announcements because there's a few things we want to talk about we do we have a few announcements um first of all congrats to brindlewood bay who wrapped uh yesterday yesterday what day is today yes they wrapped mm -hmm. yesterday on their uh kickstarter i think just shy of um like i think they were like in the 450 or something like some serious cheddar, um, yeah. all stretch goals open, like amazing, amazing stuff. So congrats to, um, congrats to Jason, congrats to the gauntlet crew, to all the other writers who are going to be writing on that project, um, including, um, from our very own, uh, Slack room, uh, Jim loves games, like just congratulations all around. Very excited. Um, very excited to see the Brindlewood Bay did so well. Um, Next one we got on the list um, is a new um, a new Kickstarter. I think it's actually, I think just launched today, which is Lifted Volume 1 Indomitable RPG. I'll read you a little bit from this. Um, Lifted Volume 1 is a role-playing game about people manifesting superpowers in a world unbalanced by treacherous secrets and advanced technology run amok. You will take on the roles of people with powers struggling against techno-aggressive organizations, otherworldly intelligences, and other powerful lifted, all of who want to control everything, everyone and everything. And this game is primed by Cortex, which means that it's a yeah. Cortex Prime game. 
that's it's primed by cortex is a, the the little marketing name for it yeah. but anyway this means what i'm saying is it's a cortex supers game <laughs> so um looks pretty cool yeah so, i looked at the i looked at the kickstarter before i backed it and uh just looking at what they've got posted for like the way the characters laid out it looks like it's got some really good ideas and just by looking at the character sheet if you've played any cortex you can kind of see how the game is going to play and it looks like it's got some good playability uh, so i backed it i think there's got some good stuff there i mean i love i love me some cortex i'm having a like i'm having a cortex Absolutely. summer right like having a very summer of cortex and there's going to yep. be a starter set that you can get for it that will include pre-generated characters a deck of um like status cards and that kind of stuff and some starting adventures that kind of get you an idea of what kinds of games you can play with the rules and I'm always a big fan of any game that gives you some starting adventures. So you have some idea what the game is intending. And so it's good start. Good, good start. Yep. Yeah. Very excellent cool. stuff. Excellent stuff. Um, I think it's, is it off to an early start? It's off to, it's one, it's got 80 yeah. backers, 29 days to go. And is one yep. third of its way to its, uh, it's at, it's at 5,200. So one third of its way to its $15,000 goal. Let's see what we can do to uh, mm-hmm. help move that along. Yeah. Boost Lastly, Lastly, we need to shout out to one of our podcast brothers, Sean P. Kelly. Sean P. Kelly has a new podcast called GM Mastermind. Um, Here's the pitch for the show. An RPG topic is proposed. The Brain Trust, a two to three, two to three game masters from different backgrounds, role-playing experiences gather to discuss the topic in order to offer insight and perspective in order to hone the craft of RPG game mastering. Cool. Folks. Two things here. First of all, Sean P. Kelly um, of the um, former Gaming and BS, right? The S in BS, Bob. Um, mm-hmm. The um, so first of all, you know this. You know this is going to sound good, right? Sean Sean has done whole podcast segments or a whole series on setting up your podcast rig, editing, sound quality, all that. So it's going to sound great. Second of all, Gaming and BS was like our sister podcast. They, um, which called they very much did game mastering and all that stuff. So their knowledge base is strong. Plus, bringing in other people's to be on the show is great. This show is going to be a hit. If you're listening to this show and you're like, "Oh, this is good jamming advice," you should also be listening to uh, GM Mastermind. I haven't even I haven't even started it yet, but I already know it's going to be good. On top of that, I believe um, our own um, head gnome Angela is on an episode. Um, I hear that my co-host from Pandas is going to be on a future episode, mm-hmm. to which I'm also going to say, mm, Sean, yeah. uh, I'm <laughs> yeah. available. Um, if you wanted, you know, if you want another like middle-aged white guy on a show, like I'm, <laughs> I'm it. Like I'm definitely middle-aged white guy. But in all seriousness, Sean, if you ever need a host, let me know. I uh, would ha- happily jump on. I've been, I've, I've recorded with Sean before, had a great time doing it. Um, show's going to be great, folks. So uh, jump on it. Get it where you get your podcasts. Wherever you get it, just look up GM Mastermind. There you go. Cool, cool. All right. Well, that will roll us on into our feature segment. Phil, it's been a bit. Get your vocal cords ready, buddy. All right, go. Workshop, workshop, choo-choo, we're on the railroad. We're talking about linear plots. We're talking about why railroads aren't necessarily bad, why linear plots aren't always good. It's going to be nuanced tonight here in the workshop. And don't suck. Okay. All right. 
this topic came from some discussions we had during some of our get-togethers over the past two weeks. We discussed the details of railroads and linear plots and their differences, similarities, and everything in between, and the often knee-jerk reactions that come from perceptions and assumptions about these different plot styles. So we start with definitions here on Mr. Mark Productions. So as often the case, our definitions are definitive, but they will be the definitions that we're basing this conversation on. So we're going to turn this over to Definition Panda. Yeah. I jumped on Bob's line. Go for it. It's all right. Just walk right over me. I'm good. Behold, you are in the presence of Definition Panda. Okie dokie. We got some, uh, we got some definitions. Uh, I try as much as possible not to recreate definitions so that we have some consistency. These are actually lifted out of an episode of Pandas. That's like from 150 something. If you're a completionist, you've heard you've heard this at some point. If you aren't listening to pandas, these will be new to you. But again, lift it out of there because we did do a thing about sandboxes and linear um, and linear plots. But I mean, we're going to just focus on linear tonight, which we'll start with linear plot, a form of adventure. I'm going to use the word adventure. Story is also acceptable module if you're like super old, like Jerry, Bob and I. Um but linear plot is a form of adventure where the story is is a set of linked scenes and encounters that follow basically a sequenced path, A to B to C to et cetera, right? In its most linear, that's it. A, B, C, and then you're all the way to whatever letter, and then the and then your story's over. A branching plot is a type of linear adventure where at times in the story there are choices, aka branches, where the characters can make a decision and go down a branch. So, for instance, A to B, but then at B, you can either go to C or D, right? And then those branches could either just diverge from each other infinitely, right? And each end on a separate thread, or they can converge again later in the future, right? Like maybe at a set piece encounter, the climax or something like that. Like there are multiple paths and there doesn't have to be just two choices, right? It could actually be like A to B, C, D, E, and F, and they all go in different directions, your complexity is up to you, but branching is the um, branching is the structure. One last thing about branching: you can have multiple branches, so A to B, then C and D. But then when you go to C, it can go to like E and F, that kind of thing. Again, it's all fractal. You can just make it more and more complex. Okay, let's contrast that to railroad. Uh, and I'm going to be very clear about this. I think that there are some fuzzy definitions about railroad. This is our definition here at the here at Misdirected Mark Productions. Railroad is when the character agency is curtailed or subverted in some way that all of the actions lead to a predetermined encounter, action, or story. The GM actively steers the character or encounters in such a way to reach this predetermined goal. Right. Its name comes from the concepts of how a railroad car is on a set of tracks and can't go anywhere except where the tracks go. Um, typically, the act of curtailing a character's agency is called being steered back onto the tracks or being railroaded. Jerry, you got an example for us? Yeah. So, for example, you've got a scenario where the goal is to get to the other end of a battlefield and defeat the opposing army's general. The GM has planned several encounters for the players to deal with before they get to the general while traveling across the battlefield. But one of the players is a druid, and he chooses to turn to a giant mole and just burrow a tunnel underneath the battlefield so the party can avoid the conflicts above and get directly to the general. The GM decides to panic, and feeling like their whole session has just been derailed, 
they decide instead uh, to make some changes. So instead of allowing this plan to be successful, they decide that they're going to put on a wizard in the first encounter that feels the burrowing mole and throws a spell on the ground to block the characters of the giant stone and make them surface so that they now have to get back on the surface and they can't avoid the encounters on the battlefield. So whatever the players did was basically curtailed by the GM's direct actions. Yeah. And, you know, I think you bring up a good point in the example, right? Panicked. Um, mm -hmm. uh, railroading, uh, we're not going to go too... Um, we're not going to go too deep into this at this point. We might do it later in the second segment, but panic is definitely a reason why railroading occurs. Um, sometimes a GM just has like a design in mind and it's just like, it, this is how it's going to happen. Um, I will say that a lot of times um, railroading falls into two places, uh, a little bit of like, oops, something happened and I don't know how to fix it. So I've kind of taken a heavy hand to fix it. And the other one is I have something super specific in, in mind that probably would have been good to get the buy-in of the players just to be like, Hey, this is what's going to happen. And I'll give an example. I will give an example of that later in the show. Um, and um, what you call it. And they just railroad it to make that thing happen. Right. So it's kind of like a, it becomes a story device, sometimes used to fix things, sometimes used to place you somewhere. Um, and then the worst example of it is that the jam's just fucking with you. Right. <laughs> Like, that's just the worst example of it. Okay. Anyway, the thing about railroads is um, when it's done with a real heavy hand, players will figure out that they're on rails and that, they're, that their actions don't seem to matter. This breaks down one of the central unwritten rules. I don't even think it's unwritten. It's written into most RPGs. This breaks down one of the central rules of RPGs, which is character agency, right? Players players have agency over their character meaning that when they think of something and do something it should it should manifest in the game as long as the rules support it um when you railroad players they do not enjoy this um and in most cases um players will bristle at being railroaded especially as soon as they detect that it's happened yeah. okay last definition before we uh move into our uh into our discussion the schrodinger's railroad um this is a more subtle kind of railroad where the adventure appears to be a branching plot with decision points that the characters get to make. But behind the screen, no matter which decision the players make, the GM just puts the scenes and encounters that they want in place to fulfill that predetermined story. So it's it's just railroading um, with more steps. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's just... <laughs> Um, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll give an example. Uh, yeah, you've got, yeah. let's see, you're here in the dungeon, and the GM has determined the next encounter in the dungeon is going to be a, in a temple that has an evil cleric. And then the party reaches a corridor, and they can turn either left or right. So no matter which way the players go, the GM is going to put the temple with the evil cleric there. They're going to walk right into that temple, and therefore the GM decided that's what's going to happen next, regardless of what the players actually decide, um, which takes away their agency <clears throat> a little bit. Yeah, it, absolutely. Yeah. It it takes away their agency, but if done properly, they don't really know. Right. Um, and I'll fully admit, and we'll talk more about this in the second segment. I will fully admit I have done many Schrodinger's railroads. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. Um, and it is it is a tool that works really well to get to some place you want to get to without players realizing that they're being railroaded. And we'll talk a little later on on, on the <laughs> subtleties of mixing that with some other types yeah. of, of linear adventures. All right, so in general, the word railroad in RPGs is considered bad. But, Jerry, we can't just go on generalities. 
Are all railroads bad? Well, we are not Sith. We are gamers. And there are no absolutes. But in all seriousness, railroading is in poor taste when it's done without the consent of the players. Now, in most games, you play as an assumption of total character agency. You, as the player, choose the actions of your character, actions you believe have an impact on the game. And when the GM curtails that, it breaks that assumption. That's why most players get frustrated when they believe they're being railroaded. They feel like the choices they make don't matter. Absolutely. And that ends up upsetting most players. Yeah, um, 100%. <clears throat> Sch- Schrodinger's Railroad uh, is still railroading, um, but it's done to make players feel like they're exercising agency. Um, so it means like, it's still not good if you're doing it technically without consent. Um, but they're just less likely to feel like they'll, they're railroad that they're being railroaded, right? Like you will just get away with it better if you can, if you can master this technique. So let's explore an idea. When are railroads actually good? Well, when they're used in small ways and sparingly, railroading can be a method that GM can use to nudge a story. This could be for a variety of reasons. Um, one of the big ones is going to be time management. Uh, if you're trying to keep things in the parameters of a campaign, or even more often, a game with a little bit of time slot like a convention, railroading might be uh, useful and maybe even necessary if you want people to experience the entire game. But providing an important plot point that would otherwise be missed is something else you can have. If the players are looking for clues, and they're just looking in the wrong place, you can railroad so that the shortages railroad where the clue ends up being wherever they look so they can actually get that plot point and move on. So let's look at an example. Let's say we're playing a mystery game and the players decide to talk to every person in the library looking for extra clues rather than using the clues they already have to move on to the next scene. As a GM, you can simply summarize and tell the players that, hey, after you talk to everyone, you would discuss there's nothing else to learn. No roles are made. No interval interactions have to be done. There's a general use of GM's narrative authority to close off any more opportunities in that area. The players, satisfied they didn't find anything else, will review their clues and make a decision where to go next. In this example, the GM isn't forcing the players to go look at a specific place, but rather closes off the place they're in and technically gives them more options by, by telling them you still have other places to go. In the end, the players are still able to make a choice on where to go next, but the GM has basically taken away one of the places that they could look and not get anything done, um, yeah. which helps to keep the game from stagnating with stagnant. Oh, as well. There we absolutely. Go. Right. Like it's that, um, you know, it's that thing where like, well, we got to talk to everybody in this space, like, which is great mm-hmm. if you're playing a computer RPG. Right. Because when you click on the guy, like he just says, like the can text and you're like, yeah, yeah, next guy, next guy mm-hmm. where you can't click on them. Right. You're just like, nope, nope. OK, not important. Mm-hmm. Um, but, it, you know, and I've I've done this plenty of times. OK, focus real quick. What does consent for railroading look like? Right. Few groups are going to have a GM that asks, like, is it okay if I railroad you guys from time to time? <laughs> um, I, I, I've never done that, right? Like, I've, I've never done it. Um, but I think there is a way to actually do it, right? I think there's a way to grant some consent on this with, by putting some boundaries on how the GM's going to railroad things. And in this case, I think it's like pinball, right? Like, if you nudge it too much, the, you know, it tilts. I don't even know if young people even know that analogy, right? Like, <laughs> Do young people play pinball? The crowd's going, what is pinball? What oh, is tilt? God. I know, right? <laughs> they think it's that thing on Windows 95 when they were like in elementary school, right? Like the, yeah. no. Anyway, the point being is that like a little nudging um, winds up being fine. Too much nudging and you kind of break, you know, you break reality. So here's a way for asking for consent, 
right? So here's an example, right? Like, hey, like I will not use my narrative authority or fiat to force you guys into a specific decision or course of action. But I would like permission to close off certain parts of the story or pull you back onto the main story if you like wander too far into the weeds, right? So like, I'm never gonna use it to make you go in a place, but I am sometimes gonna use it to herd you back into the story. That's fair. Yeah. I think like, I know I've never asked that. Like, you know, like a lot of times, look, look, most of the things that we talk about in the show are things that like we've actually done in games. I have never asked a group this. I try to use this, like this is the way I try to use railroading, but I've never actually done that. And I kind of think it's probably worth discussing because it is a valid tool when used like this. Um, But yeah, if you want to have that discussion with your group, that's kind of the way to do it is to kind of talk about like what boundaries do you want to put around your railroad? Um, and again, you know, use it subtly. Don't, don't be heavy handed with it. And people will um, probably not mind when you use it. I think, I think you've also done a little bit of that with some of the games you've run though. You don't use that terminology, but you've talked about your game style, like in Knights Black Agents, where you tell us, you know, that you've got a plot in mind on what's going to happen in this campaign, but you're going to let us discover the clues that'll get us there. And in Cortex, there's going to be a problem. There's an underlying evil agency that's doing stuff, but how we decide to come up with solving the problem and the tools we're going to use to try to do so are still up to us. Now, none of that is saying to us, I'm not going to railroad you, but at the same time, you're explaining to us what your game, what your game mastering style is going to be and in that discussion is the idea that you're not going to railroad us you've explained to us that we are making the decisions that will move the story forward that's another way that you can put it to your players is tell them you know i've got a campaign in mind and i've got some plots that are coming up or i've got a mystery coming up um i'm gonna let you guys you know look for clues and also tell me and if you need help with clues let me know and i can help you with that and that's another way to allow for railroading is by tell the players if you need help with a plot or clue ask me and I will help you get in that direction. Those are all consent. Yep. Yeah. And, and, you know, part of one of the things I do to prevent myself from railroading things is while I have a, like, like for me, while I have like a overarching idea of what's going to happen in say Ox or in Knights Black Agents, I don't write it down. Like I don't have the end of this game written. I have an idea of what the end of the game probably looks like. But by doing that and staying fluid, as you guys make choices and things occur in the table during the game, I just then look at each at the end of each session and look to see like, well, how much closer are you to to this, you know, to this thing, to, you know, the end, to this climactic event, this major discovery or whatever. And then I kind of decide like, oh, I think in the next session or two, I'll put this chunk down in front of them. Yeah, but. By not writing it out, like saying like, okay, there's 17, there are 17 stories that lead, you know, in this arc. Mm-hmm. I never have to worry about like, oh, I got to rein you guys back in because in, you know, um, story three, you did something that, you know, completely wrecked um, story 14. Yeah. Right. Like that, like having that kind of detail will always lead you to having to do like a bunch of fixes and yep. corrections yeah. and stuff. In other words, I have an idea. I think I know how we're going to get there, but I'm not counting on it. I'm going to see what you guys come up with first. Yep. So 
That's right. like that just the, so to get us back on track. But that that is my general technique for that is that mm-hmm. you don't have the less you have nailed down, the less you will railroad, which actually I think is going to do, is going to dovetail nicely into the next chunk of this uh, segment. So, Bob, can you yeah. push us in? So if railroading is not all bad, let's take the same look at linear plots. Phil, are all linear yeah. plots good? Boy, you want to say yes, right? Like, sure. Um, at a high level, yes, linear plots are good. These kinds of scenarios allow players um, to make choices that impact the story at the table while kind of keeping a very simple plot line. Um, linear plots are fantastic for one shots and con games. Um, they are they are a great tool for creating focused uh, experiences that you can then move your characters through. But are all linear plots good? It's a nuanced answer. And to get into it, we need to actually talk about a concept of level of detail first. So a linear plot, like most of the plot structures, can be created with different levels of detail. And we demonstrate this by using a simple plot and an altitude analogy. Here's our plot. The characters have been captured and need to escape. They need to get across town, and they need to stop the bad guy from, from escaping on an airship at the air dock. So three different things. Mm-hmm. Okay. So using this altitude analogy, let's look at the 50,000-foot version, right? We can make a linear plot that looks like this. How will the characters break out of the prison? How will the characters get across town to the air dock? How will the characters stop the bad guy? This plot is totally linear. Prison break, cross town, stop bad guy. A, B, C. Right? But at 50,000 feet, we've left a lot of latitude for how the characters could accomplish these goals. They could tunnel out of the prison. They could make disguises. They could um, conjure magic, make a pact with a demon. Like, it's all possible, right? Like, break out of the prison was the only thing that A represents, Right? Leaves a whole lot of open discussion about what could happen. Now, let's zoom in and go down to the 10,000 foot level. Now that we're looking closer, the characters are going to need to escape from the prison uh, by the sewers running under the prison. Then they're going to have to steal a carriage to get across town fast enough. And once they get there, they'll have to confront the big bad guy in the air dock. At this level, we've removed a number of the options for the players to take. We left a good amount of room for the characters to make some choices. They can figure out where they want to get this get into the sewers, they can decide what kind of carriage they want to take, they can decide how they're going to fight the bad guy, etc., etc. Okay, let's go down one more to the 1,000-foot level. Now, the GM's writing the plot, and it looks like this. The characters will escape into the sewers by the grate in the storage room. Uh, when they exit the sewers, they will come out in a residential neighborhood, so they'll only be passenger carry- carriages to steal. And the fight in the air dock will occur on the gangplank to the airship the bad guy will be like halfway up the gangplank as soon as the characters arrive, right? At this level, we've narrowed, we've reduced more choices, and we were kind of forcing the characters into certain situations. There's still some choices to be made, but that range of options is just getting more and more narrow. So, thinking far enough, this thought experiment shows that eventually the linear plots and the railroading plots will converge. A linear plot with only a few options lacks agency as the players are forced into a very specific set of scenes, and thus it becomes a railroad. And this is why people often confuse railroads and linear plots. Yeah. So let's go back to the question at the top of this um, this piece. Are all linear plots good? The more nuanced answer is 
linear plots are good as long as they leave a certain amount of character choices. They only become a problem when the linear plot removes too many choices and funnels players into very specific um, scenes or actions or choices. So what is the right level of detail? There is no set level. Depending on who you play with, anything below 50,000 could be considered railroady. Um, and there are probably some groups who would totally be cool with that 1,000 level um, plot, right? Totally happy with it. It's a thing that you got to work out among your groups, right? I, it's a I, thing I, you got yeah, to have that discussion, like where that, where does it feel railroady? I've been with lots of groups that don't like to have too many choices. They suffer yeah. from analysis paralysis. Mm -hmm. I've been with groups that don't like mysteries. And so when presented with a mystery, they want one concrete answer. And I've been with other groups that they want to discover everything. And so it is going to be something that can vary back and forth, which is why we say that not all railroading is bad. Not all linear plots are bad. It's going to depend a lot on your, on your playing group as well. Yeah. yeah and, and, you know, I'll just say as a real quick side, um, if you want a fantastic example of linear plot mystery, it's the first half hour of every Law & Order episode. Every Law & Order episode is like a series of scenes that lead up to the arrest of the person. And it's always A to B to C kind of thing where um, each time the detectives go somewhere, they talk to someone, they learn a clue that takes them to the next scene where they talk to somebody, learn a clue. And then eventually, like once they've done that a couple of times, they have enough and then they arrest the person. It's... Um, it's a great example of how to pull off a very linear, narrow choice um, kind of mystery. Not my favorite kind personally for GMing, but like Jerry said, there are some groups that do not like a ton of choices. Like they would very much like to be kind of told what to do. Their fun occurs in like the like the doing of the scenes. And there or, are other or, or there are other reacting the scenes. Yeah, and reacting to this. Exactly. Yeah. And there are other groups that like want like to come up with their own plans and ideas and stuff like that. Um, it is very much, it is very much a group preference, but to go back to that thought experiment within every group, there is a moment where a plot goes from being a good linear plot to being railroady. And it'll just, you'll work it out with your group. You'll figure it out. But it is that it, I, we should make a name for it, that convergent point, right? Like thinking like Barney Stinson, right? Like the Vicky Mendoza line. Like, but we, there's, like, there is a flipping point where it's not, um, it stops being fun for the players. Discover that with your players. Have a talk about it. Some GMs will just know this because they've run stuff for their players enough. They'll kind of know. Um, other times you hit and miss. Like, I, you know, if you do it the wrong way, like you do that 50,000 foot one with a group who doesn't like decisions, they're going to have a rough night, like too many choices. They're going to bog down. Like Jerry said, they're going to hit that analysis paralysis, talk too much. They're all over the place. You want to dial it back in kind of thing. Anyway, that's really the takeaway. If there's one takeaway you get from tonight's episode, this is it. A linear plot that is too narrow becomes railroading. There you go. All right. So clearly linear plots are not all railroads, but they have the potential to become them if they're not executed properly. So it would then be a good idea to talk about how to make linear plots work in your game. Jerry, what kind of tips do we have? Well, as you know, we always have some GM tips and advice. And here's some thoughts about making linear plots work for, in your games. Standard disclaimer, this is a list in no particular order. It is incomplete, and it is uh, 
to be taken with a grain of salt and worked on yourself. So, Phil? Absolutely. First tip, just what we talked about above, avoid the railroad, right? Um, just like we said, uh, keep the specificity of your linear adventure less detailed to avoid it being a railroad. Um, if you don't know, if you don't know where that point is, you are almost always better to side with a little less detail than a little more detail. Um, if it's, you know, you can always, you can, you can always constrain details in the middle of a session. It is hard sometimes to loosen them back up in the middle of the session. My best piece of advice for this, and I think it is the foundational piece of advice for me um, when it came to this was from Vincent Baker's Dogs in the Vineyard. And I'll paraphrase this, create situations, don't create solutions, right? Just put a problem in a scene and trust that your players will come up with ideas and then just apply the rules to figure out if those ideas work. Do they work with a complication? Do they not work? And just play from there. It is my it is one of the best pieces of advice I've ever seen in a in a game was and for me it was eye opening. Okay. Jerry, what's another what's another tip? Hey, this is my favorite one, which is impact and consequences. The trick in all this is to make sure that the early scenes have an impact on the scenes that come later. In other words, there should be consequences. This way the decisions the characters make have an effect on future scenes. And this demonstrates that the character actions matter, which is proof that their agency works. For example, the first scene is a conversation with an NPC that ends up being the villain of this adventure. If the conversation was cordial, either determined by conversation, a dice roll, combination of both, whatever, then the villain will give the group respect to the final encounter and will use tactics that are honorable. Now, if the conversation was antagonistic, then the villain wants nothing more than to kill the characters and every tool in their disposal to accomplish this. And along the way, bad guys and characters who have fought have their chance to retreat. Each major bad guy who managed to escape might show up at the end in the final encounter with the villain, but each major bad guy that was captured gives the players a chance to learn something to use against the villain in the final encounter. So what this means is that all through the encounters, each encounter builds up and shifts how that final encounter can play out. You're still going to have the villain is the villain, and the final encounter is going to be a confrontation with them, but how the players interact with the villain and how the players interact with the bad guys being along the way change that end game a little bit. Yeah, I, I love impact and consequences. Okay, lastly, little branching goes a long way. Branching is a great way to actually add a little agency into a linear plot, right? Take a look at a mystery game. Your first encounter could give you three leads to follow um, that are all different encounters, right? Call them 2A, 2B, 2C. Um, and this is because each of the encounters provides information that funnels the characters back to some future third encounter, right? The decision points in the story allow the players where to go next, right? Like they get to that choice and they're like, oh, do we want to go to 2A, 2B, 2C? Um, the plot is actually still pretty linear because they're going to make those choices and eventually they're going to get to scene three. Um, But maybe they have to do all three of them. They have to go to 2A, 2B, 2C in no particular order in order to get to three, or maybe they just have to go to one of them. Um, That's going to be your choice when you put it together. Uh, It all works, right? Either one of those choices work. You can totally have it where, um, you have, you know, one to two, then two A, two B, two C, and then three, and have them still go through all three. But if you give them the choice of which ones to go to in what order, that's actually like that's still choices. That's that branching creates choices and it makes it feel less railroading. So the overall theme of this advice is that when you're gonna give the player some agency in the story, you're gonna avoid that feeling that's a railroad. The more urgency you provide, the less it feels like a railroad.
Amen. Testify. All right. That's our first. That's that's the first part of our look at linear plots and railroads. We're going to take a short break from this topic. See what's up in the chat room before we get to our roundtable segment of the show. In order to do that, Babo, what's another show on the Misdirected Mark Network we can talk about? Yeah, this one's going to sound familiar to you, Phil. We've got this little show called Pandas Talking Games. In which queer gamers are talking about tabletop role-playing games and making outtakes, which are the best part. Well, to some people. Join Pandas Phil and Senda every Monday answering listener questions about playing, running, and designing tabletop RPGs. Get cozy and let's talk about some games. All right. I don't even know if we really have outtakes anymore. Like, we have the Bamboo <laughs> Lounge. There used to be, like, full-blown... There there were outtakes because there were edit, there was editing. Ah. Uh, we're not really we're not really outtaking anymore. Hmm. That's all right. Anyway, I'm still how's the chat room? I'm sure it's a fine show. Chat room's uh, pretty engrossed again. They're uh, enraptured by our melodic voices, I believe. I think that's I think that's how that works. I saw Schmitty talking about not knowing how to either not knowing whether Having they want to narrow being or the broad right or specific. Yeah. Or sometimes liking yeah. both, which is totally fine also, right? Like some games you may be like, oh, for this particular game, I very much want to have, um, you know, like a lot of agency, very high level kind of plots. And other ones might be like, no, no, I very much want this thing to be like, you know, a Death Star trench, like just, you know, take me through it. Like, for instance, if you're playing like Vampire, maybe you want something very high level where, you know, there's a lot of agency to talk to people you know, make deals, do things, whatever. But like maybe your DCC game, you want to just like really kind of put that thing, um, you know, down into kind of a very linear kind of dungeon, like, you know, a few branch points and things like that. Um, it's actually totally fine to like it um, for different games or for different genres. There's no, um, there is no single formula on this. Like you do not have a linear number that describes like how linear you like a plot and Absolutely. I'll just complicate the fucking thing one more time. As I'm just thinking out loud here, <laughs> it may also depend on the GM. You may have a GM that's just not good at doing the 50,000 foot plot and the game will be way more enjoyable. If you just let them write the 10,000 foot game um, and just, you know, you have a better time with it kind of thing. So I, I, I love this because it is definitely a thing. But I can't tell you how to do it. Like, I like you'll just know when you know. You'll know yeah. when it's too. You'll know when it's too narrow, and you'll know when it's too broad. And you'll it's the Goldilocks thing. You'll know when it's just right. I don't Pretty know. Much. Anything else? Uh, no, that's about it. I see that. Uh, I see Sean P. Kelly's jumped in the room. Sean P. Kelly has jumped in and is joining us. Send us talking Welcome about aboard. the. Um, send us talking about the glory of not editing your podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Set yourself free. No one cares. No one can, unless you're Gimlet or something like that, unless you're producing something that's got like a million listeners. No one cares if it's edited. Fight me. That's good. You know, I'm going to go on Twitter and make that my hot take. Nobody cares if you edit your podcast. Just do it. Just free yourself. yourself. Oh, it's tedious. yourself that that meme where you're sitting at a table with the the banner in front that said, nobody nobody cares if you edit your podcast. Prove me wrong. Prove me wrong. Seriously. Prove me wrong. Look, level it so that the audio comes out nice. Have good mics so everything sounds clear and then fuck it. Just, you know, chop the chop the ends, slap some bumpers on it. Boom. Roll. There you go. <laughs> there we go. Yep. I'm just going right. to be hyperbolic. It's my hyperbolic moment. 
All right, welcome back to the topic. We're going to head to the roundtable to talk about railroads and linear plots, starting with this question, Phil. Yep. All right, here we go. Question one. When in the game have you railroaded someone or been railroaded? And how did it go? Well, I had to kind of think about this for a while because it's been a while since I've, I've tried really hard not to do railroading myself. But I remember that most recently I was at a small con a couple of years ago where one of the GMs was running a D&D fantasy one-shot. And it was featuring characters from the novel she was writing, which was a red flag right there. Not only did we have to play the characters in the way she wanted them played, but the plot had only one direction, and it made no sense. We were tweens. We were children of a bunch of high-level adventurers. An orc horde attacked, so they locked us all in the basement with the younger kids. And when we finally got ourselves out of the basement, the town had been destroyed, and the horde annihilated it, and had captured all our parents and dragged them off. And... The GM thought that the plot was going to be the tweens gather up their gear and they'll go rescue their parents. And we're just like, they just took down a bunch of 10th level characters. We're zero level tweens. So we kept, we kept, and, and, the, and, the, and they told us protect the kids. So we're like, we're just going to gather up all the children and take them to the next town where there are adults who can take care of them. Uh, the GM literally flipped a table. It was only a, 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 a TV oh. table. But just like... It was a railroad, and every time we tried to do, we eventually went along with their plot. But uh, we eventually went. Why are you doing that? I don't. I don't I'm, I'm having great sympathy for oh. this GM. Like they had an idea in mind, and just like just added, like just missed the execution of it. Like <laughs> oh, it was. But they did. I mean, we took the hook. We're like, all right, we understand what you want us to do, and we we go along. And now here's an NPC who walks over to us and tells us go there and we go there and so there was there was no player agency um and to be honest there was no player agency among the role playing because this was her fantasy novel so she had certain characters who were supposed to be in love and so on and none of the characters were having it um none of us liked the npcs we encountered even though they were supposed to be lovers and so it was, it was a whole it was, it was a mess <laughs> but but it was this thing where the gm when we signed up for the game at no point did they say this is going to be you know, my novel as a game. And uh, it, it went badly because the GM didn't give the players anything to do except follow her directions and play her way. And um, it actually I mean, and it actually ended early because in a four-hour session, about two and a half hours in, the players are just like, yeah, we're done. We all oh, just got up and left. Oh, yeah. it's so heartbreaking. Yeah. They got to learn, you know? You know, in my, in my advanced age now, yes. I would very much just sit with the GM and be like, hey, like, let's talk about how to structure this so that, like, yeah. it'll because your plot will definitely work. There's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with the idea you have. Let's talk about the pieces you need to control. Let's talk about the pieces you need to let go. And let's talk about how to frame this. Yes. So that it just takes off from the point that you want it. Like, mm -hmm. there's a real there's a real way to actually run that plot. Um, plus I would also run it as a zero level funnel in DCC where you totally could go fight something that killed a whole bunch of 10th level creatures. Cause that's, that's a hundred percent shit that happens in a DCC yep. adventure. Oh, yeah. Like you could totally make this into a, into an actual kick-ass DCC funnel, um, with just a touch of work. Um, just I a little workshopping. I don't think that's what they were looking for though. I don't think they were looking for a DCC funnel. They were looking for a much more role-playing 
romantic interaction. And and there's and this is what we sat down. We did some of us did talk, you know, that like remove the part where the where the where the parents are high level adventurers because it immediately makes the players feel like there's no way they're going to stop the goblins. You know, that kind of you know, there are a couple sure. of things you can do, like set the plot up so that it makes sense for what we're doing as opposed to just like this is the only avenue open to you. Um, you know, don't predetermine whose characters have relationships with each other. Um, I mean, if you want to, right, you can say like, look, in the setup of my game, like this is a game about, you know, a group of romantic couples that are going to do X, Y, Z or whatever. Here's the thing. Uh, I'm going to give you some extra luck points that you can only spend on your beloved. Like you two care. If you choose to be in a relationship, here are the relationships that I think like here are the relationships on the pre-gens that have kind of laid out. If you yeah. want to have your characters be in a relationship, here's the mechanical incentive. That's, I'm gonna give you some. I'm gonna give you some special luck points for them. Yeah, yeah. Don't force them into it. Uh, yeah, I, I, totally. I know, and, and that's the thing about I, that's the thing. And I think we've yeah. done romance we somewhere. Have. In we there. have. Yeah. We have. Yeah. Romance requires a level of consent. Like, totally unrelated. At that same small con, um, somebody else ran a West Coast Avengers game. That sure. was a lot of fu- that was a lot of fun. But one of the things they did was that we were playing the West Coast Avengers just after the Hawkeye Mockingbird divorce. Oh. And the players just bit into that like it was a ripe apple. It was wonderful. Oh. It was so much fun. The bickering. Um, did, uh, did somebody have to play Tigra? Because that's always. Yes. Uh... yes. It, was, it wasn't It was bickering. It was snarkiness. Oh, well, that's so okay. They didn't, they, they, didn't, they didn't play it as two hateful people. It was two people basically snarking on each other the entire time. Because just like in the West Coast Avengers, the characters still did have feelings for each other. So, but that's that doesn't do with railroad plots. That just that was a relationship thing that just went the right way. Uh, the GM let the players run decide what to do with it. So, sure. All right. Yeah. So, Bob. Yeah. Before I answer the question, I'm just going to say about the uh, the the person, the GM that you described at the con. I'm just going to suggest that. Do you, you really want to avoid trying to get a group of people at a table to role play your novel characters? You really just save it. Don't. And for the other GMs that have their really rich, detailed world where everything is the way they like it and they want the characters to do things the way they like it, just write your novel and, and don't, don't try to make it a role playing sure. game because clearly that's right. what you're doing. <laughs> Like your yeah. life will be a lot better if you just go down that road. You're playing my world wrong. Fight through that. Yeah. But well, yeah. As far well, as I, me, I, I, go ahead. we should we should we should push this along. So as far yeah, as man, me, I Bob I can't Bob recall, railroaded Bob railroaded me. Yeah, I can't recall <laughs> any specific instances, but I railroaded I know. the shit out of you guys all the time because I was a crappy so, GM. <laughs> so I know one time. Which was, and it was because, so there was one time, um, I think it was your time travel plot for, um, for Palladium and this, uh, this noble, I think he was a king or something that's supposed to get assassinated. And I had come up with some way to protect the noble, um, or stop the attackers or something like that. it was something I had come up with something cause I had like some spell or power or something, um, stuffed on my character sheet there was like way more things than you know because it was a, also a monty hall campaign I, we had way more shit than bob could keep track oh, yeah. of so there was no way to like make this idea airtight and um and so 
I was like, I put the thing down on the table and I'm like, we could do this to protect them. And we would go to do it and it just doesn't work. And I was like, okay, like this guy's supposed to get gacked. Like, okay. I totally don't remember that, but yeah. I believe you because I'm sure I did something like that. Because at the time yeah. I was more interested as a GM in telling the story the way I thought the story was supposed to go rather than letting you guys help the story unfold. And it took me a long time to learn that lesson. So took me a long time to learn it too. Um, and I'll just dovetail into mine. Um, I railroaded, um, I railroaded a lot of things. I mastered Schrodinger's railroad. Um, Hmm. I got super good at, um, giving the illusion of choices when I was just running the shit I wanted to run. Uh, and I'm sure, and I know I did it in iron heroes because iron heroes was, um, once we got past a certain level, Iron Heroes was like so fucking complicated to prep for that I stopped having um I stopped having a lot of choices when it came to encounters. Like, oh, you can make some choices, you'll still get to the set piece encounter. Like yep. I don't have enough time to prep three of these separate encounters. Like you're not clearing dungeons in this game. So one way or another, this plot winds up in this encounter. Um, but feel free to take any approach you want to get there. And I'm not bragging about it. I'm just saying I got really good using it. Um, and it was back when I was scripting more plots mm-hmm. and stories than just kind of running them open, like I was talking about before. And so um, because I was running them pretty tight, I had to have some tools in hand to kind of keep things yeah. going in that direction. So as, I was very as much a player a in that game. I'm perfectly fine with how you did that because we literally were telling a story where we knew what the, what that climax was going to be and we needed to get there. So you were leading us down the path because we needed to stay focused on that. Otherwise, if we did go, you know, there was danger that we would, you know, wander off, wander off and not get to that climax because we all wanted to get there. Yeah. So having you hold our hand here and there and be like, do, 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 we're going this way. Perfectly. Well, and fine. that's that. Con- and that's that consent thing. Like when we, so when we set up that, um, the campaign was called the throne of the demon King. And I think pretty early, like when we were making characters, it was understood that this campaign will end with you fighting the demon King. Yep. How you get there and what it takes to get to that encounter. We'll figure out in the story. But that thing was like that thing was the North Star of that campaign. Like Mm -hmm. we are always driving towards this inevitable encounter. Um, And, you know, it took some work. Um, It definitely took a little bit of Schrodinger's Railroad. There were definitely it it was a very much a branching plot campaign. Like Mm -hmm. the even the arcs branched because there would get to be times where I would be like, okay, we finished a major story arc do you want to find a base of operations or do you want to find allies? And you guys were like, we want a base of operations. I was like, cool. We're going to do that. Out. Like then this story arc is taking place. And then later, Oh, we need allies. Cool. This story arc is going to take place. Um, so we did, we were, it was very much a, and I, and I was a heavy linear brand, like linear slash branching guy, but sometimes those branches were just Schrodinger's railroads. Yep. Totally it happens. Fine. I don't do it too much today. No. I don't have to do it too much today. Anyway, uh, Jerry, you want to give us question number two? When it comes to linear plots, what are your feelings for running or playing in them? Yeah, I have absolutely no issue with a good linear plot. If it's if it's well-structured, 
let's go. And and even even if you Schrodinger's you slide a little Schrodinger's in there, like I'm fine. It's if if you walk up and you grab me and physically pull me over and go, no, 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 get in this <laughs> fucking minecart, you're going that way, then I'm gonna have a problem. But if we're like do 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 and you're over there with your hand kind of just going go for it i'm good (laughs) uh me um yeah i'm a huge fan of linear plots i love them for one shots and con games in fact all my one shots and con games are essentially linear plots at some level of detail so even things like when i've run hydro hackers like hydro hackers is a fifty thousand um foot linear plot how are you going to do this how are you going to do that how are you going to do this and then let's Let's, you know, let's, you guys can talk and decide and, you know, how you're going to do it. And then we'll make some rolls and we'll do that kind of thing. Like, how are you? Oh, like, um, what is it? The blue? Oh, the one with the big chunk blue, blue of um, iceberg. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Blue Europa. Blue Europa. That plot is how are you getting into the, how are you getting, how are you getting into the casino? How are you stealing the water? And how are you getting away? That's the whole plot. Just let people you know, let people come up and people came up with very different, very different um, ideas. Some people stole it at the loading dock. One group stole it in the airship. They actually went out to Green Bay, rerouted the airship to Cleveland and stole the water of like in the air. It was fantastic. Um, but that was like, it was a very linear plot. So yeah, I'm, I'm always a linear plot guy for con games, for everything that we've said, like, I need you to take I, in four hours less because we have to do some setup and stuff. I need you to get through a particular chunk of story. We cannot be wandering around. Like we got to get, like we got to get to some places and often in my notes, it'll say by hour three, you need to be here. Yep. Yeah. Like you can't afford by, like, to, you need to leave, like Phil, you need to leave an you. hour, like three hours into this, into this um, slot. You need to be at the set piece encounter. Like, depending on the game. Um, yep. So, yeah. Anyway, huge fan. Jerry. Uh, I like them for one shot. Um, I think they work really well. Uh, even then, I like to prefer, I, when I'm running them, I prefer a consequence-based game over a straight line. Um, when I write my adventures for one shots, I write them with a start and an end. And then the middle of it is always uh, set up with the ability to add or remove a scene and have some notes to do what to do if the heroes go off plot. Um, I used to like Shortinger's Railroad. Um, I try to avoid it with almost all the games that I'm in. Um, I, I, I try to find ways to not just have the next scene be the next, the next scene I wanted, but based on what they do. But I try to write it so that I've got a couple different choices in there. I still may have to stick it in there um, because sometimes based on time or whatever. Um, I wrote an adventure where the players start out trying to solve a mystery. The end is going to be a battle versus a supernatural uh, singer in a abandoned opera house how they get there, they've got two or three different ways they can get there. And depending on which way they start the adventure, I've got a couple encounters in between that I move back and forth. Um, and I try to use the information they get in one to go to the next one. It takes a few more notes, but um, I, I just like to do it when I'm running. It takes more time to do that and a lot more effort. Um, if I'm in a pinch, though, I will just write a straight linear adventure. Some of my Barbarians and Lemurian adventures are straightforward first encounter, second encounter, third encounter, fourth encounter, and they can jump over them if they do the right things, but that's the, that's the line. Um, as a player, as long as it's not obvious that 
there were really no other choices but to go from point A to point B, or if it's laid out that way, um, I don't mind them. We played a couple of, I played a Savage Sunday, uh, it was Monster Hunter International game, where we were trying to take back a ship that had been boarded by Deep Ones. And so we start at the back of the ship. We know that our goal is fight your way to the front of the ship, kill the big boss. Just We might go down the left side or right side, but we you know going into that what your adventure is going to be, and you mm -hmm. buy into it. And so, but I think it, at the same time, that sort of thing, while yes, most player agency was taken away from us, um, it was also put up front that this is the kind of scenario you're going to be in. And by going into the game, you're, you're, you're signing that social contract that, yeah, we're fine with that. We know what we're going to be playing in this game, we're gonna, and we're going to play it that way. And everybody was happy with it because you know what the adventure is going to be, you know. And so you don't going into it that you're not expecting to have um, – it's not likely that you're going to have, you know, deep romantic, you know, um, messy romance encounters with the deep ones or anything like that. It's just going to be go in and shoot things, move on. And that's okay for mm -hmm. some games. So There you go. All right. Bob, question three. Question three. Of the methods we talked about for making plots feel less linear, what are some ways you have used them in your games? Okay. Um, I, I'm a branching guy. Love the branch. Um, it's actually my favorite. Uh, when I would be writing plots for con games uh, and pulling from some of the advice Jerry gave before the, um, before the break, one of the things I really like, oh, Jerry's writing the same thing, so I won't go into it too deeply. Um, I really like branching plots with consequences. So if you go down, um, if you go down branch A, when you get to the set piece encounter, you will get bonus X. And if you go path B, when you get to the set piece encounter at the end, you will get bonus Y. Um, and I usually make that clear to the players and then let them pick like let them pick the branch that lets them arrive at the set piece encounter with the bonus that they wanted. Now that, um, you know, now that I've gotten into improv gaming, I can achieve almost the same kind of thing by just doing high altitude linear plots where I just, you know, we'll write 50 K linear plots and just wing the rest of it. How about you, Jer? Yeah. Stealing your thunder. Same, same idea, okay. right? Nope. They listen. Great minds think alike. Um, I'm a big fan of, of branching plots and consequences. Um, I don't even mind having an adventure where I've got A, B, C, D, E, and I have A, and depending on what they do with A, they're going to go to either B, C, or D before they go to E, and if they go to B, they can go to C or D, you know, so they can skip over something along the way. Um, the other thing I try to take uh, into account, especially in a short, I'm and here I'm talking strictly about timed games where I have a limited amount of time, I try to take into account that different playgroups are going to want to do different things with the same characters. That one group may be, we want to run in there and fight stuff. One group may want to role play the hell out of things. One group may just want to interact with each other and the goofy way that they interact with whatever they encounter. And so I want to have a, encounters designed for those three that have the, that have clues along the way. Um, I don't write super complicated mysteries. I'm not great at it. So my clues tend to be fairly straightforward. Um, and I try to take into account what happens if the player's just going to skip something entirely. You know, somebody decides to make a mole and dig under dig under my battlefield. Great. I'm excited. They did something I wasn't expected. Let's run with that and move with it. And I don't care if they skipped over these three other encounters that I wrote. I'll have something waiting for them at the end. But you do what you have to do. Um, so my, my feeling is I like branching plots. I like consequences for actions. Um, but I do like a linear plot for a framework when I'm doing something that has a time limit on it. Mm -hmm. And... 
Um, I guess I'll toss this in there. If you do have a game that you want to have some level of control over what is done, adding a clock to it does make a difference because it allows you to move the story on because they've got a, a game set time clock that can, you know, something's going to happen at midnight regardless of what the players do. You can get them to move on from one thing to another. Um, that's probably a different topic, but it's another way to keep your plot um, moving in the same direction, even if it's not linear. So that's my thought. Yeah. And, you know, the thing about it is, um, I, like, I, so I love those things, right? I, I love the, hey, here's the thing you have to do, come up with an idea, and then, hey, let's apply some rules to that. Yep. Like, let's, let's mix, you know, like, let me hear what you got in mind. And I'm, I'm always, it's really interesting because when I've, um, when I play with players who haven't played with me before, or even sometimes with you guys, because I had to do it with Ox, it's like, hey, just tell me the thing you want to do. And then, then let me figure out some rules for it. If that sounds good to you, then we'll like, we can make those rules. So yeah, I love that. Like, I love the idea. Like you, you, you know, like, Hey, all right, how are you guys going to get in here? We're going to tunnel underneath. Cool. Tell me about that. Like, how do you guys plan to do it? Like, Oh, we're going to steal this thing and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yes, cool. Let's make some rolls. Like, let's see, let's get that happening. Um, And you know, PBTA games are fantastic for that style of play because it's like, cool, let's engage a move or two, and then let's see what shit happens when you roll. Am I making some hard moves? Are you getting some seven to nines where some shit's going to come up when, you know, like when you make your roll, like, let, like, you know, let's do it. Like, let's, let's have some fun. I'm very much for that. Yeah, definitely. Can you tell I've been drinking coffee during tonight's show? <laughs> I don't know. Like we secretly substitute, we secretly substituted Phil's water with a vente coffee tonight. Can you tell? I can tell. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Yeah. Okay. We used to always be hopped up on coffee during the oh, show. Oh, right. I'm not used to it. Usually I'm drinking water when we're on the show, but I ran out I ran out to a um I ran out to Starbies before uh before the show. So it was always a little high energy, so I didn't really notice it that much, but that's okay. That's also good. A little extra. Makes me chat. A little extra. A little extra <laughs> makes me chatty. Anyway. Yeah. All right. Cool. Have we said everything uh, we need to say? Yes. All right. That was our look at linear plots and railroad. All right. We hope this discussion clears things up for you, as well as to help you with the next time you want to run a linear plot. We're going to check in one more time with the chat room, and then we're going to head over to the conversation corner. Oh, apparently there was an incident. Uh, (laughs) Andy said, be careful. Sometimes players just knock on the door when you're prepared for every other choice except that one. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, my my goal is to... to Yeah, my goal is in all cases to try not to be prepared for the answer. Yes. Like, I I try very hard. I don't always do it, right? Sometimes I come up with my own personal idea of how I would solve the problem, and it, like, lingers in my head. But my goal is almost in all cases to um, empty my head of solutions. And, And I don't know, like, you know, maybe they'll make it super complicated. Or, like you said, maybe they'll knock on the door, and I'm like, well, shit. Okay. Like... All righty, let's hmm. do yeah. that, right? Like, Which side would actually answer the door in this instance? Yeah, exactly. What exactly happens? And sometimes that is the cool. Let's take five minutes. I need to think about. Uh, I need to think over what happens if you just knock on the door. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. I yeah. mean, that's that's also the one where it's like, uh, what if we surrender to the bad guy? Like, huh? It's a bold move, Cotton. Let's see how he's off. <laughs> yeah, let's let's actually. <laughs> I think we were talking about this earlier, right? My V&V campaign with what if we blow up our base before the bad guys get to do it? 
<laughs> yes, like, you did mention. That. I was not expe- I was not expecting that, but it did for the bad guys for a loop. So, <laughs> uh, I mean, that's the Star Wars moment where somebody's like, "What if we set the self destruct?" Mm-hmm. Okay, Kirk. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. Let's give it a try. Now, you know who got railroaded on that was Janeway. Seska. Seska's the GM used yeah. Seska to be like, "No way." you know no way she's gonna of course she's gonna try to detonate the ship seska's like you know permanently attacked voyagers so that they couldn't self-destruct yeah yep well that's 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 well that's that is kind of cheating so yeah so i mean one will argue that seska knew how to disable the ship and another one would be like you know no way the gm was panicking when you know when gm was like i'll just blow the ship up Mm -hmm. seska come on you gotta love seska what a yeah, great bad guy! Those, uh... I'm gonna blow up my sh- I'm gonna blow up my ship and go home. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can't just... have it. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, gang, let's roll on anyway. over to the conversation corner here. Yep. Booyah! Welcome to the party. So, my one thing for this week, um, I finished watching uh, the Halo series on Paramount. Uh, which apparently is uh, greenlit for season two. Hmm. Um, no spoilers. Um, and uh, the the important note that I have never played the video game. The only reference that I had was the name of the of the thing is Halo. It's got like space marine kind of people called Spartans. One of them is named Master Chief, and he's like in charge of like a squad. And that's it. That's what I went in with. Um, it's good. interesting sci-fi. Um, they do have the, they have a similar problem to, um, oh hell, what was, well, I don't want to get too deep into spoiler territory, but there is a subplot which dominates a particular episode and it was a nine episode show. And quite frankly, it should have been an eight episode show going <laughs> off on a detour for this subplot for a full episode outside of the main story. Like, why are we here? This, like, this is not important. Cut this episode. Gone. Just give me eight episodes of the story of what's happening and get to the fucking monkey. You know, <laughs> it's like, but it's an interesting I, only, story. So I, I'm only on episode two. So I'll have to catch up to that and see what's going on. Because having played several Halo, that might have, the not that they should have, but the reason they might have stuck it in there is it might have been a, this is a thing that Halo fans are going to like kind of thing, you know. Sure, it might have been that something that was in the game. and It's an Easter, you know, it might be an Easter egg of some sort. Um, yeah. So but, uh, I will let yeah, you know when, very, I get to that, when I get to that point. I'm very but, curious uh, to yeah, see cool. what they'll do now for season two. Um, I mean, they have an obvious path after season one, but, um, mm-hmm. but it's very interesting. Also, the other thing that I remember now that, that I knew going in, the Cortana that Microsoft shoved into Windows and forced down our throats that I tried to disable every time I update Windows, um, that came from Halo. Uh-huh. So. Yes. Yeah. I haven't played a ton of Halo. I've played a few <clears throat> of them. Uh, Reach being my favorite um, my favorite one of the um, series, and I'm probably an, an outlier on that, but <laughs> I, think, I think Reach was one of the... Um, Reach was an amazing story. So, very cool. Anyway... Yeah. Besides that, um, yeah. Go ahead, Jer. I would say I played. I played the first three. Um, I did not play Halo for the story. <laughs> I played Halo <laughs> to shoot bad guys, 
and because Cortana was cool. So that's my feeling. So I want to see what they do with Cortana in the the, the, the TV show. So anyway, Bob, yeah. keep going. All right. So uh, besides that, uh, the first two episodes of Kenobi, Obi-Wan Kenobi dropped. No spoilers. Very good. Not what I expected, but very good. Um, Strange New Worlds continues to be just glorious. Um, I watched the movie Willow again because they uh, they made the announcement at the uh, at the uh, Star Wars Celebration thing um, because it's under the same umbrella as Star Wars at Disney. Um, that there's a Willow series coming to Disney Plus, so I watched the original film again. Um, we played our Ox game, we played our NBA game, uh, all really good sessions. We had a D and D game that was uh, that was very much a good time. Uh, loving where all three of those campaigns are going. And then um, been playing a ton of Valheim and watching a bunch of Valheim uh, tip videos and, and like, here's how to make <laughs> your buildings aesthetically pleasing type videos and stuff like that. So um, very much enjoying all of that right now. Jerry. Oh, and also I had a bunch of people over to play board games. Hey, Jerry, what's your one thing? <laughs> board game night at Bob's house. Uh, yeah, we had, uh, we've been talking for a while about the fact that um, now that a bunch of us are all vaccinated and that we're staying pretty safe, we'd like to get back to doing board game nights once a month and play everything from small board games to big board games that, you know, we've had that we haven't got a chance to play. Um, sometimes pretty board games. Uh, we learned one important thing, which is um, if we're going to play a big board game, somebody at the table should know how to play the game before we sit down to play it. Nice. <laughs> uh, we played we played we played Tang Gardens which was a beautiful game, but I think we spent like an hour trying to figure out, trying to, trying to figure out the interpretation of the rules. Um, and it was a fun game. It was a beautiful game and a fun game. And I look forward to playing it again and again. Um, but uh, it was a neat thing. And then we played, we had another like half hour left before everybody had to leave. And so we pulled out circle of six yeah. and I will always play circle of six. It is never stops being fun. Um, there were some great screw your neighbor moments in it. <laughs> um, Love that game. So it just was a, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Everything else, um, we played a great game of Ox, um, and kind of got a better feeling for where our new our new villain is going to be. Um, Knights Black Agents was good. Uh, Chris's D and D game was tense and exciting and uh, an interesting role playing experience. I'll put it that way. It, it was a it was all role play. It was a lot of fun. Obi Wan was good. Strange New Worlds was excellent. Stranger Things is, is dropped and it comes out the door kicking. I liked it a lot. Um, last two things, we played a lot of Valheim with Bob, both in our shared world and in his solo world that he invited me to come help him with. Um, and then friend of the show, Glenn, recommended that I watch Jackass Forever. Um, this is not highbrow movie watching, but it is fun and funny. If you like what I'm going to say is if you like watching idiots doing stupid things, it's a lot of fun. Um, it is not a, do, do not emulate these people ever. Uh, no, I will warn, no. I will warn you. There is a lot of full frontal nudity in this movie. Um, so if, if that bothers you, it's not something to watch, but it's all, I, I enjoyed it. If you like the other jackass things, this is it cranked up to 11 with some new people. So to be clear, right. when you say full frontal nudity, you mean dudes. Oh yeah. 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 And <laughs> I mean, I mean, there are, there are whole scenes that are focused entirely on their junk and the things that are going to, that are going to happen to it. So um, the subtitle of this movie is Franks and Beans. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> it will make you laugh and cringe at the same time. Oh, man. I have a, I mean, you know what? 
I will admit, um, I used to watch the Jackass TV show um, on MTV. Uh, I never missed it. I saw the first movie in the theater on opening night, like um, with my um, with my wife at the time. Um, before we had kids, the two of us went. Uh, we were easily the oldest people in the theater when we went and saw it, like at the eleven o'clock show. Um, it, it you just got if you like that kind of humor, it is a thing. I, I I don't know what else to say about it. it. Just is it just it is exactly that. Fun, cool, cool. Am I up? Yeah. What about yeah, you? You're yeah. up. Uh, so on pandas, I talked about both um, ox and um, and long live the queen. So I don't want to I don't want to repeat here. Um, so I'm going to bring up the NBA game. Uh, had a good NBA game. We had to have it online because of my potential COVID exposure, which I thank you guys for shifting gracefully online for that um, for that game. But the thing I wanted to bring up about the game was uh, we're just at the point where we're about to crack a major clue in the game. In fact, there's going to be a little heisty action of some sort that's going to result in a major clue. And it was um, and it was a moment at the end of the game where I just asked the players, I was like, how much longer do you want this guy, this game to go? Like when I reveal this major clue to you guys, I can reveal enough that we can do like another major arc or I could reveal enough to make several major arcs. And, you know, where are we in the game? Where's like everybody's interest level, that kind of thing. And so we had a good talk about it. And what we actually came up with was everybody one is definitely in for another arc, major arc. And two wants to end this game rather than it fizzle out. So end it on a high note kind of thing. And so we actually picked, we said, you know what? Uh, fall, like based on where we are, we'll go about six to eight more um, sessions. So now I know like kind of where, like what clue to give you guys, because you were going to get that clue no matter what. But the question was, was I going to give you like a bunch more clues? But now I can actually like, I'm going to actually narrow the game a bit. Um, and start heading us into like act three end game kind of stuff and raise the stakes. Like I now know where I'm, where, where I'm going to be. And I don't have another game in, in mind. In fact, actually, I think somebody had asked like, Oh, do you have something you want to run? And I was like, no, I know I want to run for you guys again when we're done. Cause I love, you know, I'm forever GM and I love running for you guys, but I actually don't have a plan. I really just wanted to know where you guys were before I trip the next chunk of the game, like before I lay down the next piece of the game mm-hmm. so yeah. that I lay down the right piece. Uh, and so now having had that discussion, I'm like, oh, cool. I know exactly what clues to give you. And I know exactly, like not exactly, but I know, like I know where we're heading and how much time I have to get there. Yeah. So um, that's actually going to work out great. Um, and I'll be very happy. Like we're going to go, I think we're going to go a little over a year playing this game. Uh, and I'm, totally cool with that that's to me a very successful campaign like mm-hmm. and it will be the nba game that will actually have gotten to finish um with an actual like finishing and all that stuff so totally cool all right my other stuff um i watched a ton of tv because i was kind of laid up uh fighting off the covids so i finished seal team uh, i will say the last couple episodes there were a couple that were a little shark jumpy uh it seemed to recover its ground and it ended with a pretty rough I ended with a solid cliffhanger. Like it got to the end and I was like, oh shit. And then it like ended, ended. And I was like, oh, you fuckers. Like I- I'm going to have to <laughs> oh, finish. No. Like I'm, I'll be, I'll be back. Like when you're back, I'm back. Uh, I watched Kenobi. I'm not going to say anything because of spoilers, but man, that was not what I was expecting. And 
boy, do I love it. Yeah, and also, um, fuck all the haters on the internet. There's two yep. characters from the show that are getting some hate, and those people who are hating on them can fuck right off. There's yep. nothing wrong with either one of their those characters. They're awesome. Um, I uh, played some Minecraft. I actually got nostalgic and went back and played our third season Minecraft, um, oh. which rolls back a whole bunch of um, mods that we put in. Uh, and I'm having a fun time kind of doing it. Um, I, um, knowing that Stranger Things 4 dropped, I finished off the episodes I hadn't watched of Stranger um, Things 3, uh, which was great. Um, the ending, that ending was fantastic on 3. Uh, and I'm like halfway through the seven episodes that dropped for four. And Jerry's not wrong. That's also doing um, fantastic. I, I like I like it. Some people are saying it's kind of a mess, but I don't think so. It's doing fine. Mm. Um, and then lastly, I was watching Pluto TV and I watched a run of Scorpions, which is the game that um, Ox is inspired by. And I just got to tell this to you guys because you'll appreciate it. And I was watching this episode and I was like, man, this is the most fucking ox thing I've ever seen. They're, um, I don't want to go into the whole plot. A tornado is bearing down on them. And they're like, they're one of the geniuses is like, you know what? If we can rapidly cool the air, the tornado will dissipate. And they're like, what do we have around here that we could rapidly cool the air with? And they're like, oh, there's CO2. We can make dry ice. We'll make several tons of dry ice and lay it out in the path of the hurricane, in the path of the tornado. And as the tornado scoops up the dry ice, it'll cool off. And by the time it scoops up all the ice, it will have cooled off and turned into a tropical storm. And I'm like, this is the most fucking ox thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, I'm like, absolutely. I'm like, we have nailed, we have nailed this genre. Like, hundred percent, hundred percent, we have nailed this genre. So, yep. I was, I watched like a whole bunch of episodes. That show is not good. Like it is when I mean good, it's not very like it's super not plausible. It's it, it's like yeah. um, it's like MacGyver. It's like MacGyver on it's like MacGyver on on speed. Right. Like yeah. like it's not like, oh, can I you know, can I use like this credit card and a Swiss Army knife to screw up this traffic signal? It's like, oh, can I reprogram this fighter jet with a laser measure hooked to a computer that's going to upload some firmware through the nose of the plane? Yeah. Like no. some. <laughs> Yes. No. Yes. Yes. You know how Ox is played. Yes, of course you can do that. Like, let's make some rolls. Um, yes. And Ox, so yes. definitely. But Ox is a complete fantasy. That's Scorpion. Scorpions is just. So is, well, so is MacGyver. So, yeah. And so is Scorpion. Scorpions is ridiculous. Now, I could be it, wrong. And if yes. anybody else remembers the original MacGyver very, sure. very well, then let me know that I'm wrong. But I remember the original MacGyver being like going right up to the edge of plausible and stopping. Like it, it was he pushed, all, he pushed it way over. He pushed it way over. I mean, they, stepped up, they, they definitely they did that the in the remake in the they new stepped one. The pressure washer. They stepped a pressure washer to their back and flew. That's all I'm going to say. They use a pressure washer to get out of a pit. You can't do that. <clears throat> okay. Uh, I, I have strong feels. It's a great show, but I have strong feels about people who took MacGyver like it was serious science because we had people that I, I was in college at the time and there were people on my floor who insisted that's how science worked. And these are probably the same people that are eating freaking Tide Pods right now. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, everything on the show made sense if you scaled it down. But at the scale they were using it, 
about half the things were just fantasy, which was fine. It's fine that it was fantasy. I, I enjoyed that part of it. I, when people are looking at it saying, oh, no, you could do that. You're like, no, you couldn't. I think that's what I like about Scorpion. Scorpions is like, well, here's a rough premise. It's yeah. loosely based in reality, but it totally works on the show. And it's like, yeah, that's, oh, yeah. that's exactly how Ox works. Like Ox is the exact same bullshit. Like, I don't know, make up some science shit. Yep, let's do that. Let's make some rolls. So, yeah, I will say um, I do have an ending in mind for Ox. And I think we said we're in act two of Ox. There'll be an act three. I am pretty confident that when we finish the campaign, so this won't be anytime, anything anytime soon. Yeah. I'm fairly sure when we finish the campaign that we will look into actually publishing Ox as a um, as an actual Cortex setting kind of thing. Cool. I think we'll I think cool. I think we'll wind up doing that, but I don't want to do it until we finish playing the actual game. Yeah, like, I want to enjoy it for what it is, which is just our home game. Yep. But I also think that we've hit on some kind of cool things, and I think there's some cool um, yeah. um, plot elements and things like that, and um, I totally think it's worth um sure i totally think it's worth pursuing uh, like a year like a year from now or something yeah i can live with so, that yeah that's my <laughs> long-range idea cool. anyway i watched a lot of tv right. which isn't something i normally do but i'm not yeah. i'm not uh i'm not sad about it i mean you were raised by a pack of wild tv so it was just like old times it was it's kind of true. like old times plus i was also like like that the the rona the rona battle was making me very tired you know, you know, like, you know, you're um, immune, you know, like your booster, like booster tired. Yeah. I was like booster tired, like all weekend. Anyway, roll us out yeah. of here. All right. So that'll bring us to the Patreon shout outs. So thank you very, very much to Rory McLeod, Savannah Sizer, Steve Bissonette, Steve Radabaugh, T. Kustik, Theodore Atkinson, Tom Hay, Victor Wyatt, Ryan Megala, and Matthew Schrader. And thank you to everyone for listening tonight. If you are free on Tuesday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. the Queen's time, you're welcome. Come join us live on Twitch, where you can chat with the other awesome listeners in the chat room for life and ask us the occasional question. Yeah, it makes a live show. Check out our podcast each week, wherever you get your podcasts. And take a listen to some of the other shows on the Sector Mark Network, such as There is Super Geek, Mastering Dungeons, Bone Stone Obsidian, The FM Gamers, Panda's Talking Games, The Gnome Cast, Zhang Hu Hustle, The Lounge, bonus experience, and the excellent back episodes of She's a Super Geek. You can and should also check out our sibling podcast, Tabletop Bellhop, The Knights of the Night, and the new GM Masteride. Then, before you let your players open the door only to reveal that you've had that set-piece encounter um, set up the whole time, leave us some feedback. Sorry, that's a long way to get there. You can reach us directly via email, mmp at misdirectedmark.com. Hit us up on the Twitters. The show and the network is at misdirectedmark. He is Robert M. Everson. He's Jim Gerrymander. I'm DNA Phil. If you like what we do here and on the other shows in the Misdirected Mark Network, you can support our Patreon campaigns. MMP, Mastering Dungeons, and Pandas Talking Games are all at patreon.com slash mmp. Django Hustle is at patreon.com slash Django Hustle. And Bonus Experience is at patreon.com slash bonus experience. Patrons of MMP, Mastering Dungeons, and Pandas Talking Games get access to the after show, pre-production show notes, musical parodies, the Bamboo Lounge, and other special releases. This has been a Misdirected Mark production. The media arm of Encoded Designs. Mic drop. We out!